Hey, everybody. Welcome to Piecing It All Together. Morning, everybody. Or if it's afternoon in your place or maybe even evening. Good on ya. Yeah, this is Randy day. Woodley. <laughs> I'm Bo Sanders. I didn't mean to step on your toes there. Good day. There covers it all. Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 no. You're, you know, uh, that's part of the Western uh, project, right? Is to universalize everything. So, good day. Hey. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, passages in The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien is um, when Bilbo uh, says good day and Gandalf is like, what, what does that even mean? And he gives him the runaround on it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, in our Cherokee language, uh, we don't. We didn't originally have a like a hello goodbye, right? Like that came later after the white people. And so I asked a Cherokee elder one time. I said, you know, hey, is it true that we didn't have hello and goodbye in our language? And he said, yeah. He said they don't make sense. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, think about it. When you see someone, they see you. So why do you have to announce you're there? And secondly, when you leave. They know you're not there anymore. So it's like, why do you have to like tell them, you know? So he said, doesn't make sense. Oh, no. That's actually really funny. Yeah, I have a a couple people in my life who will just leave without saying goodbye. And it drives me nuts. (laughs) I do that sometimes at conferences because... I don't like goodbye so much and I don't yeah. want to have to like hug every single person I've talked to and <laughs> go through all that. You know? Oh boy. That definitely is a cultural thing. I think what you're talking about, but mm. also a personality thing. And I'm an introvert. So, Oh, actually I didn't know that. You know, that's because I have to perform as an extrovert, but uh, believe me, I'm much more comfortable like with one person or several yeah. people than big groups or, you know, putting myself out there, like, you know, I, I never want to be the first one to walk through a door at a party or something like that. Yeah, I'm a, oh. I'm a, a Myers Briggs says I'm an introvert who uses extrovert skills. That is interesting. I am an extreme extrovert, but I do feel that COVID has changed me. I can feel it. I am not nearly as extroverted as I used to be. Really? Yeah. I, well, I'm so glad you are because we would probably sit here with nothing to say if you weren't an extrovert. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's kind of you to say. Hey, being an introvert, is that how you are so prolific? I mean, Randy, you are writing up a storm and it's getting good publicity. Let's talk about some of the things you've been doing lately and some of the things you got coming up. It's been, you know, a pretty busy time during COVID. There's been a lot of sort of personal hardships we've had to work through. But uh, but in terms of writing, yeah, I, I was able to get a lot of writing done early on. Yeah. And uh, so I've got a couple academic articles that are coming out. I've, uh, I've got uh, three books, I think, that'll be, uh, well, two for sure will be published in 2022. And the third will likely be published late 2022. So, yeah, the the uh, I've got an academic article just came out in a, a book called Majority World Theologies uh, on the Trinity, which uh, we'll be doing uh, a Facebook Live on that with uh, a, a friend from Baylor, and um, and then I did a an academic article in a book that's honoring uh, Belly Maddie Carcanian. 
Uh, and oh, that, that. that's called Jesus the Eagle. I think you'll really enjoy that uh, from an academic stance. I've done a couple of magazine articles, Sojourners and others, uh, White Supremacy and Climate Change. Uh, got this book I'm really proud of that's coming out January 4th called Becoming Rooted, 100 Days Reconnecting with Sacred Earth. Yeah. And uh, that's a 100-day journey I'm asking people to go on uh, with me to basically uh, rekindle their relationship with the earth, to rekindle their own indigeneity, to uh, find uh, a different worldview in the way of looking at the future for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on. And uh, and we're actually going to do that 100 days together on Facebook, on my Facebook page, Randy Woodley author speaker page. And I'll be coming on Facebook live on that every so often and interacting with people and so that's kind of going to be a really fun one. That that gets released January 4th, but it can be pre-ordered now. Yeah. And uh, people can go to like randywoodley.com slash new dash books slash to, uh, to, to find a lot of different places to order that. But one of the things, if they order it from uh, our uh, one of our pages, it will put money back into our organization. So, But there's a lot of Powell's books, um, Books a Million uh, you know, Amazon, the, the yeah. publisher, et cetera, a lot of buttons on that page to order from. And then I've got another book coming out that was based on these uh, Hayward lectures that I did up in Nova Scotia in uh, 2019, late 2019. And uh, Baker Academic wanted to publish a book uh, from those, and that's called Indigenous Theology and the Western Worldview. A decolonial approach to Christian doctrine, and uh, that can be pre-ordered now as well. I'm kind of excited about that one, and and then I have a book with Wiffenstock that uh, should be out hopefully late fall, maybe uh, early uh, before Christmas, um, called "Missions." My sort of big critique on the whole missiology mission enterprise. Okay. And then, you know, let's not forget that you and I had a book come out in yeah. 2019 yes. um, that is called uh, Decolonizing Christianity. And in it, we talk about uh, none other than the famous boogeyman uh, of uh, the culture wars right now, critical race theory yes, and uh, intersectionality and uh um, decolonization and all the things that people right now are afraid of. We came out talking about those and we have a number of, um, you know, of our shows that we, we did this uh, talk about that too in the past, but, but uh, yeah, I need to plug our, the book that we did together. It's a nice conversation between us. And uh, I, I love that book. I think it's a great, uh, great book. And hopefully people add that to their, their uh, bookshelf too. I am amazed, you know, that book came out. We didn't get really a chance to do a book launch and a lot of promotion just because of COVID issues, but it is so timely and it is amazing how often something comes up in the news where I'm like, we talk about that in our book. Yeah. I mean, critical race theory, that is the, the pivotal point of the culture wars right now. Isn't that you know, something? We, we break it down. We talk about it. Um, we help people. You give some great analogies as to how to understand uh, this whole process and what's going on. So, so yeah, um, that that we need to get people, uh, 
you know, out uh, reading that book as well. That is great to hear. Hey, two questions though. Is Facebook the best way for people to keep up with all of these things you've been doing? Let me tell you why I'm asking. This week coming up, you have a Christianity Today roundtable. You have a Red Letter Christian roundtable. You have uh, something else you're doing that I can't remember. You got a bunch of things coming up. Is Facebook the best way? Either my personal Facebook page, which is Randy Woodley 7, but even better yet would would be... um, the uh, face uh, Randy Woodley author slash speaker page, because that's where I'm, I'm just dealing with my speaking engagements and my writing projects on there and all the announcements of, you know, when I'm going to be, or I'm also posting podcasts. I've been on, I've been on like a dozen podcasts in the last month. And um, the ones that I, I think are really worth listening to. I post on that page as well. And uh uh, and then the other place is to either from randywoodley.com or alahay.org, uh, sign up for the newsletter. And then okay. um, those things come out about once a month oh. and we let you know what's going on through there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. okay good. good. Because the reason I'm asking is you were on the Bible for normal people with Peter Enns and I got a whole bunch of people in the last two weeks saying, Hey, is, have you like, have you, do you know about Randy or I I'm just discovering him now? Uh, like, how can I hear more? And like, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? But anyway, uh, uh, that helped. I don't know different audiences, I guess, if you look at the Venn diagram, but there are a lot of people who listen to that podcast who are just now becoming aware of your work. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to get a lot more emails. And I got to tell you, I'm not like it is not my goal to have notoriety or fame. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not interested in that. Uh, I just, you know, I I think there's probably a lot of sort of psychological things and hang ups behind that. But, uh, you know, like Richard Twist, my buddy Richard was made for that. Right. He was an extrovert. He loved it. He he was great with crowds, all that kind of stuff. Me, I'm I'm kind of waiting for the day when we can build our building here at Alahay, and then we can have uh, cohorts and small groups that come, uh, and basically uh, I can set with a, a group of a dozen people or so, and and then share right around a fire. That's kind of my gig. That's what I like to do. So, um, fame, notoriety, no. But I do want to influence the world and I want to influence people's uh, thinking. So, you know, I do want them to read my books and my articles and journals and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, um, so I'm a I'm a reluctant. uh, I was a reluctant (laughs) academic and I'm a reluctant speaker, I guess. Yeah. Continuing there, we're excited that we're going to have our friend Lisa Sharon Harper on in January. We don't yeah. do a lot of, we don't do a lot of interviews, but uh, she reached out to us, so we're excited uh, to have a day with her. And we're going to be recording a podcast in uh, late December to get everybody up to speed on the release of your book, Becoming Rooted, ahead of the January fourth, I believe. Uh, release mm-hmm. of that so that they can participate with you in these hundred days. Yeah. And we'll be talking about with Lisa. Um, Lisa's an old friend. We've been friends since I think maybe 2000 and 
one or two or something like that. Uh, and um, uh, just love how she has really, you know, uh, she's an extrovert also. <laughs> and so I love the fact that she's getting the, the, the notoriety she deserves and yeah. put in the footwork, if you will uh injustice movements and things like this and so you know it's nice to see finally some uh people of color sort of coming up and getting the the recognition that they deserve and her new book is called fortune and uh i forget the exact subtitle but something like how race broke my family and uh and america and how we can heal from it or something i i forget but um but i've i've actually uh read the book um, it's an incredible book, and I think it's going to be one of these that all of a sudden hits the, the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, really? And so I'm really excited about to, talking to her about the book. It's a, sort of a, a struggle um, as a uh, African-American woman, but also a very personal struggle with her own family and lineage. So. Okay. She is a rare combination. She's a gifted speaker, an electric speaker, but an amazing author and an activist. She's, she is a rare combination. I just respect her so much. We have put out in the past week, three different podcasts. There were two that were sort of lost in the um, interwebs and we got them. And so we put them out. One's on patriotism and one is on education and the controversy and critical race theory. And then the most recent episode uh, was about intersectionality. So we wanted to ask um, our listeners, what's the next thing you want us to talk about? Today, we're going to be talking about the myth of redemptive violence. But uh, what do you want us to talk about next? We have a whole bunch of options and we just are interested. So you can email us, connect at piecingitalltogether.com. You can comment on the Facebook page. If you're a Patreon, you can send us messages through Patreon. And we do want to thank you, Patreon supporters, for your ongoing financial support for this. We're very grateful. And uh, if you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, you can find us uh, at Patreon backslash piecing it all together. So these lost files, is that like, you know, like uh, finding the. Uh you know, uh, the Beatles lost tracks or something like that. that uh, very similar. Publishing yes. them again. Very similar. <laughs> uh, that new, by the way, I know you're a music fan. That new special that's coming out, I think it's on Disney or Apple Plus. I don't remember which one it is. Um, you know, they found lost footage, never before seen footage, and they restored it about uh, the Beatles recording I think it's Abbey Road, and people are just raving about it. So, I'm I'm professor of faith and culture, so I'm supposed to be up on culture, and I didn't even know about this. And yeah, man, yeah. I feel embarrassed. No. <laughs> oh boy. Well, that was a great catch up um, on podcasts and books and upcoming uh, roundtables and Facebook live events. So yeah, make sure to check those out in the tie-in, especially if you're a new listener and you're just sort of uh, becoming aware of uh, Randy's work and you can tie in in all of those places. Pick up our book. I'll link to it in the show notes and join the conversation with us. Randy, can we talk about the myth of redemptive violence? 
yesterday was Veterans Day. Are you sure you want to go there? Oh, so this is part of why I want to go there. Let me tell you why this has been on my mind so much lately. A couple of weeks ago, a really tragic thing happened in the news. Alec Baldwin was filming a new uh, show. There was a mishap with the what was supposed to be a prop, a gun. He accidentally shot two people. A, a woman died. It's been in the news a lot. There's something about the news coverage of that event that has been troubling me deeply, which, if I can just say, had that accident not happened and somebody not died, and now the film will never be finished, will never be released. But what no one seems to be talking about is that if the film had proceeded as planned and come out, people would pay money and go to watch a story that has gun violence in it. And that never in all of this news coverage is the issue of gun violence. So 15 years ago, I stopped watching movies or TV shows where a gun is the solution. If a gun is the major way that the plot advances, I'm not interested in guns as a solution. So this whole thing has exposed the hypocrisy of our relationship to violence. Okay, So that's one thing, and I'll make it theological in a second. Then the second thing that happened is in the buildup to Veterans Day, which was yesterday, I heard more pandering by people in the news and on podcasts and in coffee shop conversations, both trying to navigate this difficult place we find ourselves at the end of the the Afghan war, of trying to honor those who served on Veterans Day, trying to honor those, and at the same time, acknowledge that there is something broken in American foreign policy. And that the war was, you know, suspect from the beginning and has ended in the way that it has. And so there's two things I want to talk about with you. I want to pick your brain up. The first is with this Afghan thing, that part of the myth of redemptive violence is that you can do diplomacy or impose democracy at the point of a gun. That military violence, it's like, for me, the analogy is, it's like pushing a rope, right? Like the mechanics don't work. Democracy, if, if that's the rope, pulls people together into participation. But to impose democracy on another culture, country, at gunpoint, is never going to work. But it's rooted in this American concept of, you know, that we've embraced, the myth of redemptive violence. It doesn't originate in America, but we've sure taken it to the next level. And with issues like the news coverage around this tragic Alec Baldwin movie situation, what never gets called into question is the centrality of violence to our mentality and our relationship to conflict. And it doesn't ever get called into question unless something goes tragically wrong, right? Whether it's a protest and you have a young guy with a military style weapon 
right? That's in the news these days. You have a young black man was in a home that was under construction and neighbors felt like they needed to intervene in that murdered him. Like the centrality of this idea of redemptive violence, that by violence, we get done what needs to be done, that that's how this plot advances is so troubling to me. And it never gets addressed in all of the news coverage, whether it's foreign wars or tragic movie sets or issues like this in the news and protests or uh, community, you know, surveillance. Randy, it's just permeates everything uh, about us and never gets called into question. Yeah. A couple things. One is that, um, we in America are much like the uh, the Roman Empire when people crowded in theaters or amphitheaters, et cetera, and watched the gladiators, right? So bloodthirsty. Um, and, and just like the Roman Empire, we do it in much more subtle ways, of course. We, we watch it on TV. We allow the news to spin untold thousands of hours reporting those things because they know that we're a bloodthirsty nation. Um, When uh, children and others are killed by gun violence, accidental gun violence every day, but when a a star happens in Hollywood or, uh, you know, something like that, then, um, you know, we've, we just keep, uh, it's just like the, um, the, the young blonde haired blue eyed woman who went missing uh, who died, um, you know, she gets a lot of attention, etc. Why do, uh, in uh, Kyle Rittenhouse and, you know, why do uh, young white, especially young, but uh, white men and women get all the attention when they get killed, but people of color don't get the attention when they get killed? And I'll tell you why I think that is. Because America was founded, okay, here we go again, as a white supremacist nation. And when white people start to die and white people start to be accused, um, then we have to, everybody's interested in it, right? But nobody cares when an Indian woman is is taken and killed or uh, an Indian child is killed by accidentally by a gun or whatever. And so while I know you... um, uh, you 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 want to look at the bigger picture. Race is a is a part of the bigger picture. The idea of America's founding in violence uh, against brown people and using black people um, is very germane to the whole idea of violence and and what we pay attention to and what we're interested in. And so while it's a bigger problem and a general problem overall, that yes. We love violence in America. Uh, It also has to do with the fact that white supremacy says when our people start suffering as a result, then we need to, everybody's interested and we need to pay a lot of attention to it. Now, that's a little bit of my critique. Um, I'll go back later and talk more about some other things, but I just want to throw that up at the wall right now and see what sticks. Agreed that race is a central component of this conversation. I am going to propose that there's actually something that is equally as central, which is Christianity. And 
whether you believe that America is a Christian nation currently or was founded on Christian principles or right, that's all very debatable and, and contestable. But what's not up for debate is that there is something about the way Christianity, and I'll give you two examples, the conquest of Canaan in the Old Testament, how Israel came to be in that place that they were, and how America sort of appropriated that as a, a, a city on a hill, a chosen nation, manifest destiny, and all of those historical elements, but also just the Jesus story that our entire Eastern narrative is, and, and I think this is the mentality that sort of underlies all of this, which is that while violence, while regrettable, brings about something good. So yes, G Jesus died on a cross, but look at the good that came out of it to redeem us and save us from our sins, right? Or to appease God or whatever your theory of that atonement whole situation, that Christianity is inherently embedded with this notion of redemptive violence. So while race right. certainly, certainly plays a role in its current manifestation, Christianity is sort of the fuel for this engine of violence is not the goal, but it is a means to an end. That's, a, of course, a theological interpretation of that whole Jesus story, right? Um, and so, thus, if you interpret it through that lens because of your cultural uh, background as a violent country and violence is the, the symbol, they sort of play into each other. But uh, one of the things that makes people upset is that because Jesus was a white guy and got killed. <laughs> oh, no. That's okay. I can see it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Haven't you seen pictures of Jesus? Yes. Jesus is a blue-eyed, uh, you know, uh, kind of blonde-haired uh, sort of figure. You know that. Yeah. That uh, and because he's a white guy, and because you know uh, he was killed, you know that we're really interested in that. And 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 then of course it's justified through people like Cotton Mather and, and others, the theologian and the Puritans, and th that violence was the way to deal with Native Americans because, um, you know, it, there's a sort of an unspokenness is that we are the Christians, they are the pagans, and so we have a right to stomp all over them, right, yeah. and attempt genocide. So, um, so, so, so I see, you know, the bigger problem, but it's because that's uh, what people say the gospel is. How do you break down the gospel if you're an evangelical? You know, Jesus lived and died for you, rose again, and paid for your sins, right? And when you yeah. accept Jesus, that's how, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. That's the very end of a gospel story. But it doesn't mean that everything led up to that point. What that does is ignores the story of the incarnation, the stories of what Jesus did and said while he was alive, um, you know, and so uh, what this very narrow evangelical fundamentalist interpretation of Jesus' death is the focus of all of the theology, yeah. uh, just about all of the theology um, for, for uh, fundamentalist evangelical and some other Christians. 
Um, it's not about that, folks. That's not what the gospel is. We, the thing is, is that uh, Western Europeans have completely missed what the gospel is through this myth of redemptive violence. Mm-hmm. You know, there are many Christian or theological thinkers who have interpreted that Jesus story very differently in, I would say, anti-violent or non-violent ways. My favorite of which, you know, says that Jesus actually exposed by undergoing what he did he actually exposed the fraudulent nature of that violence. And when he cries out, you know, famously, uh, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. They know not what they're doing. And then said, it is finished. That, you know, one of the theories is called unmasking the powers. That Jesus actually holds up a mirror to the world and says, do you see what you do right with this scapegoating mechanism, this violent uh, othering, right? That the entire mechanism of the scapegoat and this thing of redemptive violence, that he actually unmasks the powers that are operating behind the scenes and exposes the fraudulent nature of this kind of violence, state violence. Yeah. And, and, and then uh, he does a very Native American thing at the very end, right, of the story. He resurrects. And it's exactly what a trickster would do. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, so you can kind of see Jesus walking out of the tomb. And in a Native way, we would say he goes, he looks around, and he goes, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Randy, I am so troubled because, like, let's go back to this Alec Baldwin tragedy. Had the movie been completed, people would, you know, pay. This money would have made, this movie would have made money of people going and being entertained by a story that has, right, gun violence is central to its story and the, the resolution of the plot. And That's the gladiator mentality, right? Yeah. And so we've traded our, our theaters, you know, for the Coliseum, but our society and our TV and our entertainment is so, now our foreign policy and our celebration of militarism is so saturated with violence that it becomes assumed that it's not a, a goal, the goal is not to be violent, but it helps us get, it's a means to an end. It helps us get where we need to go. And this celebration of, you know, redemptive violence, it just, it creeps into every aspect of American civilization. I'm very aware of this, by the way, as a dual citizen with Canada, that, you know, Canadians and people in many other countries have a very different relationship to their view of violence. That, right. Nobody has to die for, for there to be peace. Exactly. You don't have to die in order to have peace. I mean, this is like the old joke uh, about the Romans is that, you know, the people that they conquered, the saying was Rome makes a desert and calls it peace. 
right? That's the Pax Romana, mm-hmm. the peace of Rome. Mm-hmm. And, and for those of us who are like, you know, religious at some level, you know, that's the entire thing of the shalom, right? Is a peace that doesn't require violence. This is the, exactly. the peace of God, right? And we're coming up on Christmas and we're going to sing songs about the Prince of Peace, right? It's unbelievable to me how central this myth of redemptive violence is to the American mentality. And yet most people don't even know it's a thing. Like it's, it's not even a, a concept or a phrase or an idea that you will ever hear, let alone see critiqued. It just, it's like this yeah. low level operation that constantly is below the surface, but never gets exposed. Right. And uh, I, I, I talk about uh, a little bit about this um, in, I think it's Shalom in the Community of Creation. And I, I, I had a list there of all the wars that we've been in as a nation. And there's only just like two actually brief periods where we haven't been involved in some kind of war or conflict. One of them, I think, is maybe like eight years. Another one is two years. Otherwise, since its founding, this nation has been at war or in conflict in some way, shape, or form with foreign entities ever since. And um, that should tell you something right there. You know, it's like, yeah, we think people have to die. Uh, In other words, someone else has to die, or we have to sacrifice our own people for there to be freedom. And this idea of freedom is where, you know, uh, we get mixed up because there's a lot of countries who don't have to send their young men and women over to die in order to have freedom. They have diplomatic channels. They have other ways. We, I've proposed a long time ago that we do something called a Pentagon of Peace mm. so that we spend as mu- at least as much time strategizing how to make peace around the world uh, than as we do how to make war. Wow. So I want to throw a curveball in, in this conversation. Do you mind? Uh, sure. But I do want to say one more thing about Veterans Day, but you go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. So the thing on Veterans Day that just drives me insane is this empty platitude of thank you for your service, because there's two levels that bother me. One is we should thank everyone for their service. We should thank our teachers, our nurses, right? Our stay-at-home moms. Thank everyone for their service, because we would not be the society that we are without everyone's service to the greater good. So that bothers me at one level. But the other thing that bothers me is that there's this idea, and I hear this from my conservative friends all the time, that if it weren't for the military, we would not be free. And that's just simply not true. There are all sorts of free peoples and free countries that don't have a steady diet of the militarism that we do. It's just, it's a non They're not the same. One does not directly, it's not a one-for-one ratio. And it just is unbelievable how that comes to the surface on days like Veterans Day, where we throw out these empty platitudes of thank you for your service. And it's just, I mean, it is so embarrassing how people just repeat and regurgitate thoughtlessly this, this line that we've been fed that under the, the simplest 
you know, review or critique is exposed as being fraudulent. Yeah. And guess who votes every uh, time it comes up to increase the military budget? Republicans and Democrats, right? It's almost uh, without thinking. Let's continue to increase the military budget, although we have, in the words of Bernie Sanders, I think a heinous, heinous amount of uh, money that we spend uh, in the military uh, to, uh, to build our military up. And it's this whole uh, idea of the myth of redemptive violence and that we have to continue to, to uh, sort of be the watchdogs of the world and have our hand in everything. And the truth is, is that much of it goes to protect oil and goes to protect other countries who have things we want and things like this. But, you know, which when you think about it, that is a vile reason to send someone over to die. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, but I want to I want to throw a curveball. OK, you ready? Yeah. All right. I've been watching a show that I'm I'm a late uh, late on the uptake on this one, but uh, everybody else has talked about. But uh, I've been wa- we've been watching Ted Lasso. Yes. Okay. Ted, and one of the things that strikes me while watching Ted Lasso, I think we've got the we're on the final uh, uh, episode of uh, the last season right now that's that's come out. It is you mentioned uh, the book Unmasking the Powers by a theologian named Walter Wink. Walter Wink wrote another book called Jesus Third Way. And where he talks about how Jesus responds, um, not in this binary, like it's either this or that, which is a very typical Western thing to do. But he always uh, responds to these dilemmas, uh, either with a question that asks a question in a third way, or he responds in a third way, a way that is different that you hadn't thought of. And You know, the one thing about Ted Lasso that I noticed is that he always finds a different way than you think to respond. Now, I'm not saying, you know, like, is Ted Lasso Jesus or any kind of thing like that? (laughs) But it reminds me, whoever's writing that reminds me of the fact that this is not a typical Western thinker. And uh, he's so unique, such a unique character that they've built because he doesn't give you what you expect. He gives you something different. And it's usually always positive, right? So, um, so anyway, I've been enjoying that. And, uh, and guess what? Uh, no one's been killed on that television show. Yes. Interesting. I really like that. The creative, uh, the need for creative solutions. Um, for, right. yeah. This is why we need our artists and our yeah. writers and people who are uh, uh, think a little differently. We we need those people. They're so valuable. Right. Yeah. You know, the our poets tell us so much, and our our like our singer songwriters. There's there's a beauty in what they do that we really need to elevate over just muscle and gunpower. Yeah. And I want to, I want to, I want to quote a poem, a poem that I wrote. Okay. Um, uh, the poem uh, is, I think it's in my Shalom book, um, or if not the earlier book, but uh, uh, the, the, it's called the haunting is the name of the poem, but there's a line in it that sort of capsulizes the bottom line to this whole conversation, uh, if you will. And it says, love takes flight when control makes her nest. Love takes flight when control makes her nest. They can't coexist. 
So if you live by force, if you live by the gun, etc., if you live by the theme of redemptive violence, love doesn't exist there because that's about setting control as the center of everything. And love can't exist where control uh, exists. Wow. That's a beautiful note to end on. Listener, if you have thoughts on this, if anything has inspired you or agitated you, let us know. Join the conversation. You can do it on the Facebook page. You can do it on uh, email, connected, piecing it all together. You can actually comment right in the show notes of this page uh, and leave us feedback. If you are a Patreon supporter, uh, you can post it there. We would love to hear your thoughts on this myth of redemptive violence. Thanks for being with us, everyone. Peace out.